So thanks everybody uh, for joining us. This is <clears throat> episode three of the fund services series with uh, how employee owned fund services went in the market with uh, Susan Gillick of uh, Standish Management and Brian Botha returning for the ARC. Um, there is, uh, there's an opportunity to ask questions. We'll uh, answer any of those uh, as we get to the end. And um, Susan, maybe, maybe we can um, <clears throat> start with you. Um, I think there's a fair number of people uh, on this um, on this webcast who certainly know you well, but maybe you can uh, give us an update. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Chris. Um, thank you for having me. Excited to be here today. Uh, so I'm Susan. I'm the I'm the president of Standish. I've been with Standish since it was founded in 2007. So I'm a founding partner. Um, and before that, I worked at a number of buyout funds in the Bay Area. So I've been in the industry about 20 years and given kind of my propensity towards technology, I've always had a, a technology slant. So a lot of people who know me, a lot of you probably know me because of this, I tend to know all the technology solutions in the, in the industry and, and or at least try to get to know them because a big part of what I do is advise on tech solutions for, for different private equity and venture capital funds. Um, so I, some people think I'm an expert, although I'm not a user. So that's a little bit of an interesting dynamic, uh, but, the funny thing about it is I've actually known Brian for probably as long as I've been in the industry. Uh, so at some point, I'm sure that will come up um, dating back as early as our PwC days in New York. So Brian and I go way back. So with that handoff, Brian, why don't we start with PwC? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Hey, uh, everybody, by the way. And and first of all, thank you for putting this web series together. It's been great to be and it's great to be back and also looking forward to the conversation with uh, with you and Susan today. Um, so in terms of my career, uh, like Susan said, I started back down the audit track at PwC about 20 years ago as a CPA in New York. Um, my interests throughout that entire time have really remained at the kind of crossroads or intersection of technology and private equity. And um, across that time, you know, I've worked really closely with many of the largest uh, global fund administrators, advising them on how to get the best return from strategic investments in technology. Uh, and a key success factor here is, of course, how easily and quickly technology is able to be adopted uh, for the client service teams who interface with both GPs and LP customers every day. So in a very direct sense, technology frequently comes down to the people factor. A little slow with my uh, unmute button there. Um, excellent. So Susan, if we can return to um, return to you, I think it's safe to say that uh, Standish has distinguished itself in the market um, based on on the talent that you bring to each client. Can you explain what backs up uh, each of those teams and individuals? Yeah, sure. So absolutely. I mean, as a firm, we always are talking about how the people power our company. So it's all about people, people, people. We're a professional services firm that utilizes best-in-class technology in order to make to do our jobs well, accurately, effectively, quickly, all of those different things. That, and that's really critical. Uh, one of the things that we'll probably touch on at some point today is uh, maintaining those folks and keeping them in their seats and, and employed and happy and growing and learning at Standish. Uh, and we use technology to, to do that for them, to help them with that, make sure they have the right solutions internally. We'll talk a little bit more client-facing later, but having those solutions internally so that they're not spinning their wheels, they're not spending their time doing um, work that's not value-added uh, and making sure that when there's a process that they're 
performing that doesn't seem to be done in the most efficient manner that they speak up. So we have a big culture in the firm of recognizing when things just aren't quite going as well as you think that they should be going. And I'll use an example. So um, I sit in our Boston office and for the longest time, sorry, my dog, is um, uh, right outside my office is, is one of our two copiers. And it's significantly, it's the subpar copier. It's the one you use when the other one is busy. The other one is this big industrial copier that's just does everything. It, it prints in color, it finds, it's just perfect. Everyone loves it. So I noticed one time that everyone was outside my office using the copier. And so it kind of gave me pause and what, what's, what's going on? So I go out and I ask, why is everyone using this? Oh, the other copier is broken. Okay, well, how long has it been broken? Oh, it's been broken for two weeks. Did anyone think to maybe mention the fact that the copier was broken? I, so we are essentially, it's kind of a silly story, but if something doesn't seem to work properly, you should fix it, or at least make an effort to fix it. I think that that's critical and we definitely have that um, in our culture. And, and I can even go back to, to when Brian and I first met, to just keep talking about us, um, I was working at a private equity fund. I was fairly new to the firm. I was the controller and we did our first capital call. And I was told that the way we do this is we print out the notices and then we stand at a fax machine and fax them out. Um, I thought that was crazy. So what? So I'm standing there, it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm literally the only person in the office. And the next morning I walked into our CFO's office and I said, we need to buy technology. Like this isn't working. And that's when I met Brian for the first time. And he sold us our very first piece of software, which was wonderful. Um, so th things like that, having a culture of uh, innovation and making sure that we are giving our people the right tools to do their job in the best way that they can. Uh, it has just so many different benefits. And for me, the most important benefit, aside from clients, like excellent client service, you'd think I'd say that was one, but that's really two, is keeping our people engaged and happy and wanting to come to work and wanting to provide that really good client service. Uh, without that, you know, we're just another fund administrator. So then that's wonderful. Um, if, can you tell us more about how Standish does it in particular, let's say with LP te uh, platform technology or customization, uh, what's, what's the Standish approach to, to um, technology to answer that? Yeah, so um, I think the way that we think about it is a bit different. So a lot of our competitors, they have their own technology stack that they deploy across all of their clients. And there's a lot of benefits to doing it that way. Uh, it's much more efficient for them. They've got people working in the same environment. It's easier to train. Just it, There's a lot of benefits to the fund administrator to doing it that way. Our approach is a little different, as I mentioned. We actually think it's much more important to have um, the right technology for a particular client. So, And that could look very different from one client to another. So we spend a bunch of time up front and we have an entire team at Standish that this is their actual job. Uh, they evaluate what the needs of the client are and then they recommend uh, different techno technology solutions. Usually from our perspective, it starts with an LP portal. Like that's all of our clients have an LP portal. There's a number of, number of providers out there who do this and do it very, very well. But then there's other things, right? They might be absolutely in love with a particular CRM system and don't want to give it up. 
So we find ways to integrate those solutions together or at least make them work as effectively together as possible. Uh, not always the easiest thing, but this is a big kind of value add that Standish provides to our clients. Uh, yeah, maybe we're maybe we're not the most efficient in, in, at the end of the day, but we are trying to make it so that our clients, as I mentioned, have the best solution for them. And that's not just a one-time exercise. That evolves over time. They raise new products. They want to go into hedge funds or they have a credit function. It evolves and we're constantly working with them to make sure that they have the right solution. Wonderful. And... Um... For those in the uh, in the audience, I have a list of questions in front of me, and I'm not as swift as um, as our two guests because I hopped over Brian there. Uh, so Brian, can I come back to you and um, um, come back to the especially the point on on talent and uh, and what uh, Susan was talking about in terms of empower, empowering talent so they're not all stacked in front of the copier machine. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. No, I think so. Susan, you touched on a couple different things that I want to pick up on. One was that there's been an evolution of the technology, uh, you know, in the space that we work in, in private capital markets and more broad, broadly in, in private equity for both GPs and for fund administrators that are helping those GPs, you know, do all the things that they do for them. Um, you know, going back 20 years uh, to the facts example there, you know, everybody was pretty much doing things in Excel back in those days. Um, and then the first kind of software players that really emerged, you know, a lot of them with kind of partnership accounting kind of as the backbone, um, you know, more and more of these firms um, showed that they could automate and uh, improve a lot of the things that were being done manually. And then a lot of the other stakeholders at the funds, you know, the IR, the investor relations team, the middle office, the deal team, the portfolio management team, um, all wanted to, you know, tracking more and more data trying to figure out how to use that data in a way that could be, you know, a strategic for them in terms of decision-making. Um, what happened was a lot of those first early adopted solutions kind of just uh, built a bigger and bigger and more complex mousetrap to handle those other deal teams, uh, th those other constituencies. And, um, you know, that kind of worked for a while, but I think it, it kind of reached its limit when, uh, when a GP is trying to get a, an investor portal and they also have to go with uh, switching their CRM system just to get an investor portal, um, that, that's where you know, things can get a little bit, uh, they, they may have gone too far. Um, and today the growing trend is kind of the opposite. It's this you know, very focused type of solution that's really uh, fit for purpose. So whether it's, uh, you know, you're talking about e-subscription ca capabilities, there's a lot of vendors out there that have come out in the last few years that are uh, solving what was a very manual and, and paper intensive process to uh, have, you know, investors subscribe into the fund, uh, whether it's GP carried interest calculations or uh, cap table management or valuations of the portfolio companies, um, or, uh, you know, there's all these use cases that really have been neglected in a lot of ways and have been uh, remaining sort of manual for far too long. And, and the solutions that are emerging are, are really fit for these particular needs, um, but they're also building in sort of plug and play capabilities to other best in class solutions rather than trying to uh, build everything themselves and become like the one vendor for every GP or for every fund administrator. So that that's where I see the the evolving trend in the software space right now. Can I um, touch on that? Can I ask you to say more about the plug and play? Um, I, I yeah. hear uh, Susan talking about talent and making I think things easier uh, for talent so that talent's not waiting for somebody to fix something. 
and you know, put in a ticket and, and, and wait around. How does plug and play or APIs fit into that? Absolutely, absolutely. It's really important that you know uh, that when you're picking a solution, that now that there's so many great solutions out there to pick from, that it's going to it's not going to be uh, causing a situation where the the data that's in that solution is going to become siloed, and you're not going to be able to you know for example take the back office data that's uh, great for uh, financial reporting. Uh, which would be also useful for the deal teams to know exactly what their exposure is to the existing investments and how much they should follow on from to get IRR and performance information, to be able to take that information and, and be able to give it uh, across the entire organization for all the different stakeholders that might be able to benefit from it. And it, and so it's, it's really important when you're looking at solutions to make sure that uh, you do have that, uh, that capability uh, kind of built in. Um, and a lot of these solutions now uh, do, in fact, do that. You know, uh, myself working at ARC, uh, you know, we when ARC was being created and built from the ground up, it was, it was, this was, you know, there's a lot of different folks out there that are already using off-the-shelf GL, uh, general ledger tools like uh, Quick, QuickBooks and Xero and Sage Intact. And so, you know, we designed ARC with the intention that we would be GL agnostic. So regardless of what kind of GL this GP or this fund administrator is using, uh, grabbing that data from their existing GL was important for us rather than trying to tell them, oh, you have to abandon your GL and go with, uh, you know, something else. Um, we have to meet our clients kind of where they are and use, you know, let them benefit from what's working and, and just make things better. Um, and, and that also cuts down on the implementation when things can plug and play really easily and data can flow more uh, efficiently and seamlessly between the different stakeholders and between the different, uh, you know, tech stack that that's there that's in place. So, um, you know, another aspect of that, just another example is, uh, you know, a lot of these institutional LPs, uh, you know, PDF is still the common format for uh, quarterly reports that go to the LPs on in these investor portals. But more and more of these sophisticated institutional, you know, pension plans and endowments, et cetera, are, are they have their own systems and they don't want to necessarily get it in a PDF. They want to grab that data and plug and play it into their systems. So um, the, another aspect of the ARC solution is to make sure that we can let, uh, let uh, stakeholders, you know, download that data to Excel, download it to CSV, uh, completely digitize the PCAP or the capital account statement so that when an uh, investor is looking at their, their allocations throughout the life cycle of the fund or their performance of the, the different funds with that GP manager that they're invested with, that they can get that data and uh, do whatever they need to do with it very quickly and easily. Excellent. Um, I want to go back, um, Susan, to you in a moment and um, ask about employee-owned fund services. Uh, the headline was how employee-owned fund services win in the market, and the market is evolving underneath us right now. There's a lot of headlines. Um, so before I do, um, Brian, I wanted to um, see if I can put you in the spot a little bit. Um, how, how do I, as a potential customer of a tech solution, put that tech solution on the spot during a demo, for instance, to see how plug and play they really are or aren't? Are there certain signals that indicate how um, configurable or nimble the solution actually is? 
Yeah, I, th I think it really comes down to the existing tech stack that you're that you're using, right? So if you're if you're talking about an investor portal, for example, and you want to uh, be able to once the fund is raised and you've got some solution that's helping you automate uh, and digitize the whole subscription process. So now, you know, all the uploading of the passport by the investors and the KYC AML checks and uh, deconstructing the entire uh, LPA or subscription agreement into a docu-signable format. Um, now that that's completed and the investors are in the fund, and and they're going to be going into the investor portal now for the life of the fund to get their quarterly reports, their tax information, et cetera. Um, having the investor, you know, go back and re-upload all that information to get that data into the next solution, just uh, you know, that's not a winning a winning situation for anybody. So so it's really important that that e-subscription service. Uh, talk to the investor portal and that it can pass along the data that's already been captured so that it's a seamless and a better experience for both internally and externally facing to the investor. You know, is it important for, um, you know, the, the portfolio monitoring solution to talk to the investor portal solution? Maybe. Uh, there's use cases where that may uh, absolutely apply if investors want to be able to see uh, a lot of that rich detail on the portfolio companies when they uh, go into the portal. Sometimes that can be a flood of too much information. I just want to get my capital call and distribution statement and uh, be done with it. So it really, it comes down, there's no one size fits all with this stuff. But I think as you're taking on another solution or trying to automate a piece of what today's manual, you really have to think uh, through what what are the inputs, what are the outputs from that uh, widget that you're uh, adopting um, in order to make it work uh, seamlessly with everything else that's already in place. So one small part of that is if someone has, especially a client or an LP has to re-enter data, that is a sign that it is not plug and play and there's a problem. That's one sign. That's a, that's a sure, very, very obvious sign. Yes. Okay. The, when when the customer experience get, falls apart at that level, that's a very, hopefully it doesn't get to that level when okay. you real. Yeah. Uh, Susan, um, um, so there are headlines about the market and what it means for, for private equity. Um, what are you seeing from the fund services perspective? How do employee-owned fund services win in the market that we're trying to figure out right now? Sure, yeah. So I think that there's a number of things in, that are happening right now. And from if you're talking headlines, there are really two, from my perspective, things that impact our industry. One is the rising cost and scarcity of talent which uh, is, I think is being felt across all the, uh, the entire industry. I was saying earlier, it's really good time to be an accountant. Um, not if you're an employer of, of accountants, but really good time to be an accountant. Uh, that's one. The other thing we're seeing a bit as the interest rate environment changes, we're in a recession or entering a recession. It's uh, funds, the fundraising market has softened a little bit, especially for new emerging managers. It's taking longer to go to market. Uh, and we're still, we're not seeing as much flow from, from that. Our existing clients, well, blue chip names are not really having as much trouble, but they're still, it still is slower. Um, but for, for Standish, and I, th I think for the fund administration community in, in general, uh, you know, it's, it's built, we, we started our business in the middle of, of um, you know, the late 2000s. So big, big uh, recession at that time. I think one of the things that we noticed then Everyone thought we were really kind of foolish to start then, but 
a lot of GPs who are now our clients really took a hard look at their cost structures and um, outsourcing to a fund administrator made a whole lot of sense. So what's as we kind of enter that same market again, we're seeing that trend can uh, re reappear where, whereby their uh, funds who are still have um, sort of, or they're, they're do all their work in house are now thinking about ways that they could um, alleviate some of their talent crunch by uh, by supplementing with fund administration. And that's turning out to work pretty well for us. So. Um, that, that's that's the biggest thing for us. So even I think with talent, retaining talent is still, as I mentioned earlier, our number one priority. Uh, we don't want to, even though our cost structure is going up significantly, one thing that we really try not to do is to um, have to pass all of that cost uh, on to our clients. We are seeing um, price increases, not for only our clients, but in the big four, it's just, it's pretty prevalent right now. Uh, so one of the things that we always do when we see the uh, labor market tighten is we then try to find additional technology to supplement the labor that that we need. And uh, an example, and, and my my team or our team, I should say, does a really good job at this. Like as I mentioned, the, the copier was kind of an outlier example, but generally they're very focused on putting technology in place to help make their lives better, and. If I could just, if you indulge me for one example, I had a, I have a client who called me, this is probably six months ago and said, Hey, we're raising, we, we are raising a new fund. You're probably going to close it the next couple of weeks. I need you guys to onboard it into our system. Sure. No problem. This is what we do. No big deal. But what that process involves is we need to then get all of the subscription documents from the, uh, from the firm through their lawyers. And, and this is a static document, PDF. And we need to pull out relevant data that is important to us. So for example, name, tax ID, all that, all of those things. And historically, that was a manual process. We would have to go in and go through every single document, put it into a spreadsheet, and upload it into the portal. Uh, that's a, what we've always done. And then my client dropped the bomb on me and said, um, we have 1,100 LPs. And I kind of took it in stride. It was a little bit uncomfortable. It's a lot of LPs, usually like it's 80. So 1100 is significant. So I called up our head of our onboarding team and you know, very gingerly explained to her that this is going to be coming down the pipe and we're gonna need to get it done within a week, which really wasn't possible. Um, so unless you worked around the clock and we just pulled resources from everywhere. She was unfazed, completely unfazed, because what I learned next was we had recently licensed a software solution that pulls data out of PDFs into any format you want, and then that's it. You just have to check it. So what would have taken hundreds and hundreds of man hours took like less than 10. So this is the way that we could solve, I think, an employee-owned firm, um, you know, I think I don't, I don't think I mentioned it, but we have 175 owners at Standish. That type of efficiency is meaningful to a lot of people. Uh, so that's my example. That's a wonderful example. And um, there might be different directions. Um, I, I brought up APIs um, further with Brian. I don't know, again, if APIs play a role in what you were just describing. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask was about implementation fees mm -hmm. and a customized, you know, setup for technology and whether 
you know, how to avoid friction in the process. So choose your own adventure. Yeah, sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I have to admit, that, um, I've been using the term API for years. And literally yesterday, I had to look up what it meant. Um, so I think people know, they, they understand what it is. But for anyone who doesn't know, it, I'm reading it now off my wall. It stands for Application Programming Interface, which I probably could have figured out if I had given it some thought. But, you know, Google machine works really well. Um, <laughs> So, so anyway, I think that, you know, I mentioned earlier, we've got, we want to make sure that we have the right technology stack for our clients. That often means a bunch of different solutions. And one of the things that we love about ARC and, and others is when they have an, what is called an open API, which means that you can then plug different technologies. And sometimes it's even just Excel, right? You're, you're able to upload. That I would consider to be an API as well. Having that ability is, is really a game changer. Um, and a lot of vendors that we've worked with in the past are very against that. They don't want you to be using different uh, providers. They think that they can do everything and they can, they just can't do it all well. And I think that that's a big challenge that we're facing when you're working with a big firm and they definitely can't do what they say that they're going to do. So drilling down on that's important. Um, the other thing that I think is really critical, you know, you mentioned how we can scale, or maybe you didn't, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, being, being able to scale with different technologies uh, is, is, is really important. Um, the, the efficiency factor, and, and Chris, you're going to have to help me. I don't remember what you asked, and I'm definitely stumbling, so could you just remind no, no. me? No, I, I also wanted to ask you about um, you know, implementation fees and speed of customization. That was the, uh, the other um, item. If, okay. if, you got me back on track. That's all I, that's all I was asking. Um, okay, so implementation fees. The, the way it's been done up until fairly recently is it costs a fortune, it takes forever, and it may or may not be right. So that is just, we talk about pain points, extremely frustrating in, in that sense. Uh, so one of the things that, again, we look for when we're talking to different providers is how quickly can you get us up and running? Uh, I don't have three months. I certainly don't have a year. And I'm not going to my client and our CFOs are not going to their GPs and telling them that in order for us to implement this solution, it's gonna cost you know, a quarter million dollars, a million dollars, sometimes upwards of that. And, and Brian mentioned this in one of the other series um, that it's not just the implementation fees that kind of you know, get you, it's the ongoing fees that the professional services fees. You know, for example, if I want to, one of my clients wants to add a line to their PCAP. In, with some providers, I have to go back to their team. I have to pay them, you know, a few shekels, and it still takes a week to add a line. With with newer technology solutions that we're using now, we can do that in house. Like that, self service is the is a culture that I think this generation is used to, and wants to be able to do it themselves. Um, so that works really well for us. We're able to. Uh, make these changes on the fly uh, and it really it's just it's it's a game changer it, honestly going back five years it was so frustrating to have to constantly work with professional services at our vendors that's wonderful so then i feel if we come back to the the headline um how employee owned fund services went in the market it seems like the level of ownership at standish um drives technology adoption that's aimed at the 
uh, owner slash user within Standish? Is that potentially a, a something that someone looking outside of Standish might think they are seeing? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say that's the case. I mean, if you think about it this way, one thing I didn't mention, but probably not too many people know is Standish doesn't have a salesperson uh, among its ranks at all. We, we don't, we don't have, that's not a job here. Uh, so it, I think that the culture and not to make this a sales pitch about my firm, but our culture mm -hmm. is, very, is very collaborative and we have a common goal because we are all, uh, most of us at least are employee owners. So technology, making sure that we have the right tech stack in place and creating all this efficiency means that we can grow at a very fast rate without satisfying, I'm sorry, without sacrificing quality, um, efficiency, uh, and more importantly, employee morale. Like we want our, our folks to, we don't want them working 80 hours a week. We don't even really want them working 60 hours a week. So we're gonna give them tools to make sure that their 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 day is manageable, they're learning, they can get promoted. Because the reality is, what we want to do, it's a very big four model. We want to hire people at the most junior levels, train them, they become proficient, they get promoted, they become proficient. I, I sat next to a woman last week. We did a training event um, out in Palm Springs, and she would, it was director training, which is really the highest rank you get at Standish as director. And I looked at her, and I said. I think you might be the only person here who started as an associate. And her answer back to me was because you guys taught me and gave me all of the tools to kind of move through the ranks quickly. And that's, that's how we're going to be successful in my opinion. That is awesome. Uh, we're, we're right at the end point. We have one question. Um, so I think this is for you, Susan. Um, it's exciting to learn uh, about Standish's embracing of technology. Um, does this impact the firm's uh, current risk management? And uh, do you have, uh, how do you plan to strengthen or how do you strengthen quality control to manage the risks from automation or system development? Yeah, so that, that's, a really, that's a really good question. So again, we look a lot like a big four firm for those of you who understand what that means. Uh, we have teams of people at various different levels. We have doers, reviewers. So we, we take risk, obviously a risk-based approach to everything that we do. So there's multiple levels of review built in, especially when there's manual processes involved. And you know we're moving away from as many manual processes as we possibly can, but there's still, still some of them exist. When we can put technology in place it eliminates at least one of those levels of review because we have trust in the information and the data that's coming out of the solution that, we're, that we've deployed. Uh, so it, it frees up a bunch of people to do different things and I think lowers our risk profile significantly. Um, we don't want people keying things in. It's just, we're human and that never works. So when we can put technology in place, really lowers the risk profile. For us, it's all about managing risk. If, you know, things, we're not perfect, we make mistakes, but we don't make big mistakes. And I think that that's the key. And if we start to make big errors and our quality decreases um, because we're just growing too fast and don't have the right solutions in place, all of that word of mouth referral, which again, is like, that's how we get business, that dries up and, and our growth slows down and we're not as attractive anymore. I have gone over next time maybe we might know a, a lot more time but thank you everybody uh, for joined us for joining us uh we'll be following up um with you uh thank you both 